everyone, and welcome to the Brother Cousins podcast. So thankful that you're listening with us today. We are continuing our coverage of the 2023 Church of Christ area-wide meeting, where we're interviewing the presenters that were uh, on the schedule for that day, allowing them to give us some of that extra content, the things they just didn't get to talk about that day. Today, we are uh, very thankful to have Brother Marlon Cole, as our guest on the podcast today, we'll introduce him in just a moment. His topic that he was given was the rules of engagement. And Brother Marlon talked to us about the way that we engage a world that is in desperate need of the gospel of Jesus. And so he had several different areas of his discussion that we're going to point on today. Uh, but Marlon, we want to welcome you to the show. Thanks for being here. Glad to be here. So tell our audience a little bit about yourself. Undoubtedly, there's going to be some people here who have known you for a while, but we'll probably have folks who don't. So tell us about where you are and uh, your work in the kingdom. Well, I first decided years ago when I was about 12 years old that I wanted to be a preacher. And that was something I wanted to pursue. And I did from the time I was 12 and until this very day. And I'm 68 now. Wow. So you do the math on that. Uh, I went into full-time work in 1978 and did full-time work as an evangelist uh, with the church uh, until about 2006 when I became my role changed and I became an elder at the Valley Church of Christ there in Gunner. And I've been doing the elder evangelist double duty thing since 2006 to this, to this day. And that's pretty much the history of where I come from. Well, I can remember, Marlon, uh, you coming to uh, Stratford, America, to to do gospel meetings whenever Jared and Jeffrey and I were just kids. So uh, we've we've known you for a long time, and we appreciate you spending time with us anyway. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so um, your topic was a really interesting one. And really, in my opinion, Marlon, the, the other presenters had the con- the conceptual, right? The talking about the basics and the biblical teaching on marriage and about sexuality and about, um, you know, identity and all these other things And your talk really, I think gave the audience some tools and ideas about how to take those concepts that we learned and connect them to the people and how to actually implement and engage on those ideas. So, you know, it's one thing to know that our neighbor uh, is living in sin and they're oppressed by the devil. But in another thing entirely to go to them and try to convince them of that and engage them in a way that's helpful. And quite frankly, I think that's among a lot of Christians, Marlon, that's the the scariest thing about our faith is the command to take what we know about Jesus and go tell other people about it. Um, is that something that's always come pretty naturally to you? Uh, it's something, it's kind of an acquired skill. One thing you begin to learn when you're talking about reaching people, and that's what we're talking about doing. My part of it was reaching out and helping people. We have a lot of people that we know, guys, and uh, we have a lot of friends and neighbors and even family, but not all of them are prospects. Uh, we call them suspects. Now, when you visit with them and talk to them a little bit about the church, you can find out pretty quickly who is interested and who is not. 
the ones that have a real interest in being a part of the Lord's kingdom and the church and all that, uh, you're going to be able to reach them uh, with the gospel. Now, with this particular topic, you're probably going to have to go back uh, to the very, very, very basics, Christianity 101 stuff. But not everybody you run into is going to be a prospect out there. And what people get discouraged about, not just on this topic, but in doing the work of the Lord, is is how do you face the rejection? Yeah. You know, and there's going to be rejection because not everybody is a prospect. I like doing, I am comfortable going up and down the street and I teach uh, the young people here at Gunner. I teach them what I know about how to approach a door and things like that. And, and we've had some success doing that lately. Hmm. Uh, but you're going to face some, a lot of people can't, you know, there's rejection with that. If you can get one in a thousand to want to sit down and do a Bible study with you, you've really done pretty good. About one to 2% of your cold door knocking technique uh, is going to result in uh, an actual prospect that wants to study the Bible with you. I will tell you this, that uh, I got a group of kids together and we had about 15 of us. I limited them to one hour because it was so hot. I couldn't stand to be out there by my, you know, for much longer than that at my age and everything. But in one hour, they had 35 people said they could come back and, and talk to them. Wow. Out of that, we had, we had three or four that set up Bible studies with us. Now I know that's not a great batting average, but you've got to have people that are interested. So don't get discouraged. My, my first point would be this with anybody don't get discouraged uh because there's rejection there there's going to be rejection and you just have to you have to deal with that but you're looking for that that soul that is interested so someone so someone who is interested you would say that you know once there's a glimmer of a conversation and that's where someone becomes a prospect in your view absolutely and it's especially true with this topic here uh uh, because not everybody's going to want to make a change, uh, especially people deeply involved in this sort of thing. Uh, and so uh, I, I, you've just got to be patient is, what, is my main thing with this. But you've got to find people who want to change, which brings me to the point that I did not really get to cover very well at the meeting. Change is possible. And God requires change from all of us. But change is hard. And you're going to have people that want to make a change and they may come to you and you may work with them and they may decide, okay, I'm going to make a change in my life. And they will have what we call a relapse. In other words, they don't do it perfectly. Right. To me, Romans 12 and 1, when it talks, of, when it talks about be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that's the definition of repentance. My definition of repentance is a change of mind that eventually brings about a change of action because the body generally does what the mind tells it to do. And so there are people that are going to want to change, but it's not going to be easy, but change is possible. And that was one of the things I wanted to bring out that I don't think I really got to cover much uh, at the meeting in Denton. 
if that answers anything. Yeah, I, I think that any of us who have worked, well, I mean, you don't have to have work with anybody else. I mean, we all know it personally that change is hard because even if you are quote unquote raised in the church or grow up in a Christian home, you still develop sinful attitudes and behaviors that you have to remedy with the gospel. So yeah, we can all test the fact that change is hard. Some changes are harder than others, uh, particularly mm -hmm. if you don't have a lot of support or encouragement uh, outside of the church to do that, you know? Uh, but yeah. When, and if you work with people, you know that they try and then there is relapse and it requires a lot of patience and grace for people to have a safe place to fail. Yes. And we've got to realize we're, we're, we're not going to be perfect. If, if we say we have no sin, we make him a liar and the truth is not in us. So we have to be patient with some of these relapses that we run into. You know, Marwin, being a, the, at the stage of parenting that I'm in with the a five-year-old, a three-year-old, all of a sudden the scriptural comparison to a new convert being a babe in Christ takes a lot more meaning. Because, you know, whenever I tell my three-year-old, don't do something, she may not do it for 30 seconds and then turn around and do it again. You got and it. And then the next day she does it again. And the next day she does it again. But I've noticed also that in, you know, being consistent for a month, she stops doing those things as much. And she gets better and better and better. And, and it takes a lot of encouragement. Uh, multiple forms of encouragement from the parent's perspective, but it takes a lot of patience because it's really easy to get fed up and want to throw your hands up in the air. And I think that we do that a lot with Christians and we don't give them the benefit of the doubt. We don't give the, the time to transform because behavioral change is hard and it does take time and it does take practice and patience. And, you know, if we treated our child the way a lot of us treat new converts, my kids would die, just to be very frank, um, because we oftentimes don't give them the patience and we give up on them before it. we really should. And that's just my perspective. I could be wrong on that. Well, let me, let me give you something that on this, uh, you've got five and three-year-old. What you're doing is a much greater uh, uh, cause than just teaching them the immediate behavioral patterns they need to follow. What you're doing is you're instilling in them what the scriptures say, train up a child the way they should go. When they're old, they won't depart from it. The real challenge begins when your children get grown and they leave home. We all can pick up bad habits a lot quicker than good habits for some weird reason. That's just the way it works. But when they get in trouble or they get away from God in some way, if they've got that foundation and that training, they know where to come back to. They know who to call and they know how to get back on the straight and narrow. And it's the same way with people that we work with. Uh, and they're trying to make changes in their life. They're going to have these relapses, but they know where to come back to and how to start over and get back on the straight and narrow. And we've got to, we've got to, we need to treat those folks the same way we would treat one of our children that we know is trying to change and working hard at it. And we got to have that attitude. 
which brings me down to the prodigal son because the prodigal had to make a change, but the older brother needed to make a change too. Amen. And he, and when you deal with a congregation and your leadership of the congregation, you got to remember, what am I bringing in here? And, and I know people are going to give you a scripturally correct answer. Everybody's welcome. But if you bring in somebody with one of these lifestyles and a, a young family's bringing their children, are you going to want your children to be around that? And how would you react to that? You've got a prodigal and then you've got the brother that's not had that problem. And so it's a balance that, uh, Elders and leaders have to, they have to walk that balance or you can empty a church building. And that's, that's really just the truth. Yeah. And, and you know, that I think Marlon, when you say the, that the new, the new convert is a babe in Christ, that that's not meant in a condescending way. That's meant in a, a way that you care for that person and nurture that person along. They have different needs than a new Christian, than a, than a mature, stable Christian does. Sure. Um, and they would, yeah. they would not be needing the help then that they're needing if they were a mature, stable Christian. Sure. And they need, uh, in the professional world, what we call scaffolding, right? Cause they're under construction that they need additional structure until they get to a certain point of completion. And then they don't need that anymore. Hopefully if it's done right. The, the, the thing that, that I've learned with, uh, the work. Uh, and it's not just this particular subject, but it's any anyone that's wanting to make a change. The first year that they become a Christian is called the new birth for a reason. It's where they start. And that first year is critical to their growth and development. And normally, if you can keep someone staying with the Lord, staying with the scriptures, working and trying, even though there may be uh, some setbacks, if you can keep them through there for that first year and help get them grounded with that, uh, that's going to be a lot easier to keep these people where they need to be. And, and you'll have a much, then they can become a mature, stable uh, Christian as they begin to study and grow. And I know you can't hold somebody's hand forever, uh, but, but they do need, uh, if we just bring people in and, and then leave them to themselves, uh, it's going to be difficult to have them retain that Christian uh, faith and that walk. And that that's something that's difficult. So Marlon, what are some strategies and ways of engaging? And we're kind of, the conversation is taking kind of a different um, avenue than I thought it would, which is, which is fine. And it's good. You know, um, we talked a lot and you talked a lot about your presentation and Denton about how to engage with people who are outside the church but we've kind right. of started talking about how to engage with people that have recently come in. And it's good because that's a needful, a needful topic. If you could just think about if we could only have back the people that we've lost before they were a year old in Christ, think about how, how full our church buildings would be. Right. So that's Absolutely. super critical. And what are some successful strategies of engaging with new Christians that you've seen Marlon that help them like support their change. Right. Well, one of the things that, that helps is you've got to change faces and places. Okay. First Corinthians 15, 33, the King James says, uh, evil communications corrupt good manners. I think the modern 
translations, uh, the more modern English translations, say evil companions corrupt good morals. Yeah, when someone comes in, we've got to give them somebody else to relate to and to hang out with and to be friends with. If they just go back to the same old people and go back to the same old places, they're going to get the same old results. Mm-hmm. And so I'm one of the things that I think is critical is is making sure that that these folks feel like they're taken under wing, so to speak, that, you know, that they're a part of us. And that's where I was getting with the topic we've been discussing with alternate lifestyles, uh, who's welcome and who's not welcome at a congregation. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm going to tell you something. We've uh, we've had people come to us and they had been convicted of being pedophiles, uh, you know, and that is that's not a good place to be. And the community knew about it. Of course, we're not a big community. Uh, other churches knew about it and would not have anything to do with these people. What do we do with that? Tell them to go somewhere else. But then these other churches would bring somebody from California or far away in that had done horrible things. And they would use them on testimony night to talk about how Jesus could change people. And I think we get to be what they call nimbies, not in my backyard. <laughs> In other words, as long as this stuff happened way far away, I can live with it. But if it's somebody I know grew up around and they've got this problem, I don't want anything to do with them. I run, we run into that quite a bit. And so that's something you're going to have to, when you're talking about these lifestyles, the other thing I want you to understand is when we're talking about these alternate lifestyles, I would ask anybody in the eyes of God, what is worse? Somebody cheating on their wife, committing adultery or a same sex relationship. In the eyes of God, both of them are sin and both of them are wrong. And you're going to have to, they've got to have some place that they can go so that they can find a way that they can make that change. And if, if we just automatically out of hand reject somebody, you're not our kind of people. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna wind up in a bad situation for them and for us eventually. Yeah, I, I think Christians have a low tolerance for people who sin differently than we do. You got it. And and I don't understand sometimes the way people react to people with problems because we've all at least been there, if not all there. You know, and how Jesus said, you treat others the way you want them to treat you in the Sermon on the Mount. And that's the way we need to do it. When you get to these lifestyle changes now and and the the uh, the deeper stuff like that, uh, you're you're going to have to back up and Christians are going to have to find out, why do I believe in God? Why, Why do I even think there is a God? Why do I believe the Bible is his book? It's going to do you no good to read the Bible to somebody that doesn't believe it. Why do I believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of God that, that was, you know, that we've been looking for. Once you get them to where they have a belief in God, there is a God. The Bible is his book and the Lord is his son. Then you can start really help making a change. I've found that a lot of Christians, and I used to be in this boat, 
when I first, I believed in God because my daddy said there was a God. Well, you know, that's not a real impressive argument, to be honest with you. Uh, and pe that's not going to impress somebody that's uh, looking to want to uh, make a change in their life. We need to have a, a reason of the hope that is in us, according to the scriptures. And, you know, I'm going to tell you something. It's not something you're going to get sitting on the pew three times a week, and then you go home and don't open your Bible. You're going to have to open your book. You're going to have to do research, and you're going to have to find out for yourself, why do I believe there's a God? And then go from there. So, Marlon, it's kind of what you're describing is, you know, maybe 50, 100 years ago, whenever we thought about evangelism, it would have been, we're going to preach the Bible because we lived in a society where a majority of people already believed that it held some authority. But what we're talking about is kind of a post-Christian society, right? So we have to start with a different set of assumptions than we might have had to in the past. When I when I started in, in preaching back in the late 60s and, and 70s, early 80s even, uh, most people were, were familiar somewhat with Scripture. One of the things that I found now is we go into homes and talk to people about, about their salvation, their lifestyle, what they're making changes, and a lot of times we have to buy them a Bible. Uh, they don't even own one. And it used to be every family had some sort of family Bible. Well, that's not the case anymore. And I've actually done some studies, uh, even recently, uh, with a fellow that didn't know who Judas was, had never heard of Peter or Moses. Uh, and, and now he knew Noah and the ark story. I guess everybody gets the dose of that when they're growing up, you know, but we, we assume sometimes that people know what we know. And that's a, that's a mistake. And so we need to make sure they have a Bible and we're able to show them why that Bible, uh, is inspired by God and not just another, you know, it's not the constitution or the, you know, a writing of George Washington or something. And not, I'm not picking on George Washington, but, but that this is actually from the Holy spirit. You're also, when you deal with these lifestyles like this, a lot of the time, now I know it doesn't matter what, what, lifestyle you live this can happen to you you find that there's substance abuse involved mm -hmm. and you, you you may have to deal with that and then you'll find out that there may have been abuse of some kind in somebody's early childhood that caused them to turn a certain direction or to a certain lifestyle and sometimes as as elders we do what I call pastoral counseling. We're like the first responders. We are, we put a bandaid on it, but sometimes you just got to admit this is above my pay grade and we got to get some real help in here. Mm -hmm. And we need to have a, uh, well, we used to call it a Rolodex. I guess y'all would call it a contact list of, uh, someone that is experienced in handling these deeper addictions and things to help these folks. Uh, otherwise, you're going to be like the guy that had had the, the the demon and he cast him out, swept the house clean, and then seven more came in. What that parable is telling you is 
if we, we, we cast the demon out, we got to replace it with something. Otherwise, we'll wind up in worse shape than when we started. And so sometimes we can do basic counseling or helping studies, but we can, we're going to have, we're going to have to get some deeper help uh, with some of these things from people that have been there, done that, that we have confidence in. You know, Marlon, that's, that's been a, a conversation we've actually had a couple of times over the last few weeks. And it, I believe that recognizing that there may be some substance misuse or um, a, a history of sexual deviancy against this person, it maybe allows us the ability to empathize with them a little bit better and have compassion on them a little bit more because you start to see the person that is broken rather than focusing on the sin that's different than ours as Christopher referenced earlier. And, you know, the point that you made about it's different. I had a conversation with somebody earlier this week, or I guess late last week that they said that they've seen a shift of exactly what you said used to people knew the Bible. You would talk about the Bible and the emphasis in those discussions were really based around doctrine. And then it shifted to the legitimacy of the Bible. And now it's even shifting to is Jesus actually good? Like, Is the standard that he put in place good? And there's arguments all about that. And so the, the shift of what we have to teach and how far back we have to teach, I think, is, is very much happening because we have to convince people, for instance— that they have a misunderstanding of what love is. And so whenever they say things like love is love or, you know, they love each other, why can't they just love who they want? We've got to bring that back to the true definition of what love is and, and show that this other thought process or the, the more contemporary thought process is destructive. Whereas the love that Jesus teaches about will bring about life. Absolutely. The thing that people need to know is we're, we're, we care about them. We care about whether they've got one soul and if they lose it, they've lost everything according to the Lord. You know, if you gain the whole world and lose your own soul, what have you profited? And so they've got one soul. And when, when life is over, it's over. And that's the condition you're going to meet God in. And, you know, so we care about these folks. We're not, this is like your children. You see your son or daughter go up to a light socket with a butter knife. You're probably going to take it away from them. You know, and because it'll, it, it will light them up. So, uh, you, but you're not doing it because you want to be mean to them. You do it because you love them. And that's the way we're going to do folks that we're talking about in these situations that want to make changes in their life. It, it's, we are not, we're not phobes and we're not mean, evil people that are just against people that are not like us. We really believe there's a God. And if what we believe is right, there's real consequences to the lifestyle you choose to leave, uh, lead. Uh, the, uh, the Colossians, Paul told them that. He listed all those terrible things, and he said, which were some of you when you lived in them and walked in them? 
And so that we're, we're concerned about people's souls. That's why we're doing it. We're doing it because we love them, not because we want to be mean to them or we're homophobes or something like that. Uh, but that's the way we get portrayed in the media and places like that. And there may come a time that uh, it gets more difficult uh, to believe what we believe. And that's why there are some churches that have begun to compromise on some of these positions. And I don't mean churches of Christ. I mean, churches in general. Uh, and they have begun to, instead of it, sell people, they need to make a change. They just accept the lifestyle. Well, that's not what the Lord did. He said, I come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The adulterous woman, he said, go your way and sin no more. So that is something that we've got to, you know, that we need to make clear to people. It's not that we are against these people or that we don't like them uh, or anything like that, or we're trying to be mean to them. It's, it's simply that we believe what the Bible says. And if the Bible is true, there's real consequences to these actions. So there, you know, with what you said, Jeffrey, there are a lot of people trying to respond to those allegations and, and those questions of is what Jesus taught really good. And, and we're judging based on the mores of our current society, which are awful, just bluntly. And there are people responding to that, promoting the idea that Jesus didn't teach these things or that it was a societal understanding for what Jesus taught. And even going so far as to commit blasphemy and say that Jesus welcomed these people, he, he affirmed their identities and their ideals and, and so forth. And what we see is they take the examples of Jesus allowing sinners to be around him, even reaching out to them and they pervert and corrupt those examples to say, see, Jesus affirmed who they were. And, and that's not what we find in any of these examples. Uh, thinking of one today of Jesus going to eat with uh, Simon and, you know, you can make your judgments here as to what Simon's heart really was. And if he was truly wanting to find the truth or whatever, but, Jesus didn't go and affirm his lifestyle. He he went to hold him accountable and to teach him how to live a better life, which is what he did with everybody. And what we see with Jesus is, is what we ought to be trying to mimic and imitate ourselves. And this goes back, reaches back to some things we talked about at the first of the episode. We've got to give these people someone to connect with. And this is something in, in I know our regular listeners will, will know where I'm going because this is a, a common topic for me. You can't Christian alone. It cannot be done. And new converts especially cannot Christian alone. We're meant to bring people into a community because we were created as humanity to be part of a community. And this community should be the greatest community that people know. And there's got to be wisdom, which is why God appointed elders to, to head mature congregations. And every congregation should be seeking to have leadership in the form of elders to, to shepherd the flock locally. And we should rely and lean on those guys in those situations, because I'll tell you, you know, Jeffrey, your kids, well, Christopher, yours too, are all younger than, than mine, especially my older kids, but I've got kids from 16 down to two, and I'm going to be judicious about who I tell, Hey, feel free to go to my house anytime, as opposed to, Hey, I'm home, come to my house and, and hang out with me. Um, but my home needs to be open when I'm around. I need to be available 
when I'm around because the likelihood of someone trying to take advantage of me is pretty slim, but the likelihood of me being able to help someone should be pretty high and give that person someone to connect with. A common question that is asked in my peer group as we strive to be more kingdom-minded every day is, would you have these people in your home? And that's a regular question we ask each other, would you have them in your home? And it's, number one, a mindset question. Are you willing to, to make the sacrifice, and are you prepared for this? And what do you need to do to prepare to give these people someone to connect to, to give them a reason to want to change their life? Because largely, these people in these communities have found a community. They found people they connect with. They found people that make them feel seen and heard and noticed. And then they, some of them changed their life to specifically fit into those groups, which any of us that have been in high school and can remember, will know we've done the exact same thing, maybe just to a lesser degree. But we, we combat this idea and these, these terrible, horrible ideas about Jesus in, in every way that they come, whether it's he wasn't good or he didn't exist or by exemplifying him in our life and the truth of who he was and seeking to raise humanity out of the mire that we exist in, that Satan has drug us into, into the truth of living a more full life and service to people and the community that God gave us in his believers. Well, you're going to, you're going to realize when you read the scriptures that uh, you take the rich young ruler, Jesus loved him. He cared very much about him. He told him what he needed to do to inherit eternal life. And the scriptures say that the young man went away uh, very sorrowful. But Jesus let him go. He didn't say, hey, it's just okay. Do whatever you want to do. Jesus told him what to do to be saved and how to have eternal life. And the young man, at that point, at least in his life, uh, said no. And it, it, you know, but it says Jesus loved him. And so we can love people, but sometimes you get to the point that uh, they've got to make a decision too. You know what I mean? Yep. I wanted to cover, and I cover it a lot when I talk to people about working in the kingdom and helping people change their lives. If you get to Luke 15, there's three parables. There's the parable of the lost sheep, the 90 and 9. Okay, the, the lamb that got lost wanted to come back and didn't know how to get there. And the shepherd went and got him. Then there's the parable of the lost coin. That coin didn't even know it was lost. And that's probably going to be the majority of the people that you run into that you're trying to reach. They don't even realize they have a problem and have a need. But then you get to the prodigal. And I always ask this question. He went to the hog pen. He was starving to death. Who went and got him? Nobody. You see, he knew what to do. He knew the way home and he knew where the father's house was. Now, when the father saw him coming, he ran to meet him. But it says he came to himself, which is where we started this discussion. Not everybody's going to be a prospect. But when they come to themselves and they really want to make a change, then what do we do and how do we handle it? And that's where that was what my talk was really really about but jesus he told people to go their way and sin no more and there was one time he was talking to some folks and he said the kingdom of god has come nigh unto you they almost got there 
but if we're not willing to do what Jesus told us to do, then, you know, Jesus even let them walk away. As far as Jesus uh, teaching on these lifestyles, Jesus reiterated what was taught in Genesis. Jesus said male and female created he them. In the beginning, God created men and women, and he had a plan for them, and that was marriage. And Jesus reiterates that in, in the Gospels. So the idea that Jesus didn't have anything to say about it uh, is, is not accurate to start with. The second thing is, if we truly believe the scriptures are inspired by the, by the Holy Spirit, he had a lot to say about this particular issue in uh, Romans 1. And a lot of the questions that we get when we're talking about these lifestyles is, what is normal? Define normal. Normal is what God said is normal in the Christian mind. And what, what, what coincides with what God said is normal and what, what doesn't is not normal. And in fact, is in Romans 1, he said they were leaving the natural use. In other words, God had already defined normal for them. And so to say that Jesus didn't teach on this stuff, if Paul's letters, Peter's letters, John, all them, Luke, the Gospels, if the Holy Jesus promised to send the Holy Spirit to inspire these men to write that. And so all of that is Jesus's teachings, not just, not just what's in red. And we need to be aware and people are not aware that the epistles are from the Holy Spirit. And that's actually the Lord guiding them to do that and to write that with his authority. And so once that's why we've got to tell people why we believe the scriptures are inspired and they are the word, the revealed word of God to us. And I think that's real important. So Marlon, I appreciate you mentioning the prodigal son and, and how we approach people who come back. And it's sad, but a lot of times if somebody has become a Christian and they leave, sometimes we get, instead of being sorrowful that they left the Lord, we get ticked off because we think they left us. And we feel betrayed. And so we, we're we kind of like the older brother, right? And what we you know need to realize is that when the father saw the prodigal son coming back, he didn't call everybody out there to watch him do the walk of shame all the way back to the house, right? He mm -hmm. said, bring a robe and put a ring on his finger. One, he wanted to cover <clears throat> his son's shame. And then he wanted to put a ring on his finger, which would have been the signet, the mark that he was the son of the father. And I think there's a lesson there for us as Christians. Whenever people realize they come to themselves, they come back. Not that we should ever not be honest about what happened, but we shouldn't be eager to set them up as a spectacle and shame them and say, you know, look what they did. Oh, here they come dragging back. We need to work to say, just as if I had you know, committed a sin, I wouldn't want at noise the broad or the rumor mill. I would want someone to come out to me and meet me there and, and bring me back with some dignity and love, not, not to treat me like, a second class son. 
I, I will I will tell you one of the things, and, and this is something that has bothered me over the years, is when somebody has been part of the the kingdom and they walk away, taking it personally, or when we, we do a Bible study with somebody, we get down to the end and we offer them the opportunity to become a Christian, and they say no. I take it personal. You know, in First Samuel eight, Israel wanted to have a king. And uh, Samuel, it hurt his feelings. Mm -hmm. uh, he evidently took it pretty personal. And and in verse 7 of 1 Samuel 8, uh, the Lord said to him, he goes, do what the people tell you to do. They haven't rejected you. They've rejected me that I should not reign over them. And we've got to realize it's not us being rejected. It's the Lord that it's the Lord they're either going to accept or reject. But sometimes uh, I have an inflated self-worth, I suppose, and, and I take it personal. And uh, But they're not rejecting me. Uh, you know, Paul in 1 Corinthians 1, he said, was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? Well, the obvious answer is no. Uh, Christ did all that for you. And, and we've got to remember, we're just, we're just the ones telling the story. And, and Paul said, some sow and some water. But he that soweth is nothing, and he that watereth is nothing, but it's God that gives the increase there in 1 Corinthians 3, Amen. where he tells us that. And so we need, we need to remember that and, and not take it as personal as, as some of us tend to do sometimes. Well, and, and there's a truth Paul goes on to talk about in the third chapter of 1 Corinthians, in the work we do on the kingdom of God, it's going to be revealed. <clears throat> You know, Marlon, you've talked about not all our prospects, and there are going to be people that initially come on board, and, and we can go to the parable of the soils. We can mm -hmm. look at a lot of parables, and there's work that we're going to do that is going to feel like it netted no result because of the end result, at least at the time, being negative. But Paul tries to offer some encouragement to the Corinthians and, and that some of the work you're going to do is going to be burned up. But the fire, yep. the, the trial, the testing – which is what we see in the parable of the soils is going to test the ground. It's going to test the materials that have been built. And, you know, yeah, you're going to feel some loss there, but that doesn't change the work you've got to do and the work that the kingdom has got to do. And you've got to accept that sometimes it's going to happen and the heart, because of what God's word does, it allows us, it allows the heart to reveal who it is and who it wants to serve. And eventually the heart will demonstrate if it truly wants to serve God or not. And that work will be exposed. Absolutely. It will. Uh, the, the other thing that, that I keep thinking about is even Jesus himself. I don't know how many thousands flocked to him during his personal ministry. We know at least 5,000 because he fed them, you know, at one occasion. But on the day of Pentecost, after the resurrection and he's back in heaven and the Holy Spirit descends, he has 120 followers in the upper room. He's got 120 followers. Now, I don't know that that means that's all that there was. Maybe they couldn't all be there. Uh, you don't know. But he certainly didn't hang on to all of them. And we're not going to either. But the point is, the point is this. It's God they've got to accept or reject, not us. And we don't need to, sub, I don't need to substitute myself into the Lord's place. 
it doesn't matter what we're dealing with, but it, it's the Lord that, that saves and the Lord that determines these things, not me. Right. And the Lord's going to determine who's a part of his church because the Lord adds to the church daily, such as we're being saved. You know, Marlon, I think in addition to this idea, you know, you brought up the 5,000 that were fed um, in John six, whenever Jesus has an opportunity to basically prove that whether or not he cares all about numbers because he feeds these people and they follow him and he makes the conscious choice to give them a hard truth, knowing that a lot of them are going to walk away. And to me, that, that situation reminds me of the fact that there are going to be people who serve God, not to serve God, but because of what they can get from the people who are at the congregation or so on. And the test is whether or not they're truly willing to submit to God. But what this reminds me of are situations that you mentioned previously where people are willing to conform to the thought processes that are more contemporary and give in on some of these lifestyles being okay and that love is love and so on so that they can keep them there in the door. And yet again, you are going to have to to face the reality and the truth of, are you willing to sub be submissive to God or not? Or are you going to conform? You're asking the question that the Hebrew writer uh, said, Who's the author and finisher of our faith? And as far as the brethren and people uh, somewhat taking advantage of the, I know we're supposed to help those that are in need, but Paul wrote in the Thessalonian letter about working and people not working, but wanting to live off the others. Uh, we're supposed to help people, but at some point you realize that it's, not for the right reason that goes back to that soil and heart and by their fruits, you shall know them. Does somebody really want to make a change? Now I know I've lumped a lot of stuff in with this lifestyle discussion that we were intending to have, but to me, uh, a sin, sin is sin in the eyes of God. And he wants us to make a change regardless of what that sin is. And we've all got to make that decision sooner or later. Am I going to follow him or am I going to follow the world? And, and, you know, that's the fork in the road that Matthew seven talks about. And unfortunately, Jesus said, most are not going to go down the straight and narrow the topic that we were discussing, but it doesn't matter what it is. We've got to make that decision about who we follow and who's the author and finisher of our faith. I, I think we're, I think we're still on that topic and you hit something that I think if we examine a little closer, maybe um, zoom in as it were, what we're seeing and having this conversation about the rules of engagement, about how to reach out to these people. And because the reality is we're seeing these people that didn't know there was an alternative that didn't know there was a Christianity outside of the, the, lies they were told about how they're hateful bigots that want to burn you at the stake and, and want to unperson you and so forth and so on. 
And as people interact with us, what they should be finding is what the rich young ruler found in Jesus. I love you and I want what's best for you in every sense. And that is giving your life to God to the fullest. And that is the message for everyone, whether they're part of this lifestyle, whether they're just not part of our system of faith that we believe is correct, whether they're, you name it, um, the, the truth and the love that we demonstrate to people is the same regardless. I'm, I'm not a different person when I'm sitting in my home than I am when I'm sitting in the pew. I don't change from here to there. So I'm not a different person when I'm sitting in the pew than I am when I'm talking to someone on the street that noticed that I interacted with a clerk different, that I didn't shun away or I took the opportunity to talk to and ask some questions to about the way they're dressed and, and was genuinely curious and interested. There is a, a sameness that we see in Jesus over and over and over again. And it's, it's the love and, and desire for people to give their lives to God so that they can be saved and live a life that's more abundant. The, the other thing that I was trying to bring out and I didn't do, a, I don't believe a very, good job of at the uh area-wide meeting is you know no no one's an island things we do affect other people it might be your children or your parents or brothers or sisters it's it's going to affect somebody we we've had this uh and i know you've seen it in the news and the discussion you have a transgender male competing in girl sports And these young ladies have worked real hard. They're trying to get a scholarship and they're fixing to run a race. And they look over and they got this girl, 6'1", 200 pounds, but you know, that she's got to be, it affects people's lives. And then 82% of people that do this at some point have contemplated suicide. And that come from the government that didn't come from churches. And, and the point that we've got to make out with people and we got to make people understand is when you do things against God, bad things happen and it affects you. And one of the big things that happens is depression and depression leads to a loss of hope and a loss of hope leads to, leads to this suicidal tendency stuff. But when you follow God and you do what he's told you to do, good things happen. And it's always, he has not given us a single commandment that would hurt us. And we, that's something we've got to point out to folks. But these things have consequences to other people's lives too, not just our own. If I, if I can say, hey, I ain't hurting nobody, it's just my deal. I mean, who would care, right? But it does affect other people. And it affects their outlook on things. So we've got, we've got to make people aware they're affecting others too, and not just themselves. We probably want to start rapping pretty soon. That's my thoughts on it. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll kind of restart, kind of open up kind of a like last round and then we'll uh, kick over to Marlon for the, the prayer. So, so Marlon, are there any other ideas that, you just didn't get the space to talk about that you want to try to mention while we wrap up. We, we have got to, as, as followers of Christ, we've got to do the best we can to follow him. We, 
I go to church not because I'm perfect and I'm more righteous and I'm better than everybody else. I go to church because I need a savior. And it has really changed my life and impacted it, I believe, for the good. And it's affected my children and my grandchildren and eventually great-grandchildren in a very positive way. It gives you a solid foundation. And I want other people to be able to have this. To do that, I want to follow as closely as I can. I'm not perfect at it, obviously. I have my moments, too. Uh, but I want to follow as closely as I can, and I want to persevere with this thing. I don't want us to give up trying to talk to people, and when we find people that want to make a change, let's stay Let's stay with it. And, and don't get discouraged and don't give up, uh, because your labor is not in vain in the Lord, according to the Scriptures. Mm-hmm. And, and one day, one day the Lord will look at us and I think he'll say, well done. That's, that's my thoughts on it. Well, Marlon, I know I really appreciated your talk at the meeting and I thank you for coming to visit with Jeffrey and Jared and me to give our listeners a little bit extra content and a little more context, um, from this, um, so I was wondering, like our custom is, if you'd be willing to say a prayer to close out our episode for the evening. Absolutely. Whenever you're ready. All right. Let's pray. All righty. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and your many blessings. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being a part of your kingdom and that you've given a pla- us a place to belong. We thank you, Lord, for the, your son that you sent to die for our, our sins and the sins of the world. May we have a great love for those that are about us, for our neighbors, our fellow man. And may we constantly be taking your gospel to a world, Lord, that is lost and dying. And Lord, may you give it a free course that we will be able to reach people. And Lord, those that are looking for change and looking for help, may our paths cross and may we be able to introduce them to you. Forgive us of our sins. Save us in the end. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll catch you next week.